Good morning, everybody. And congratulations for what you've done for the world so far. Yeah, you woke up. You became part of it. And so far, you're on the, on the verge of the best day you've ever had. What would it take to put you across that line into the best day that you've ever had? Well, all you need is a cup or mug or a glass of tanker, Chelsea Stein, a canteen jug or a flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine here. The day thing makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. It happens now. Go. Shudder. Quiver. Savor it. Savor it. Okay. I'm good now. Now, did I tell you about my little uh, health mystery? I was trying to figure out why when I write, I become so tired that I actually fall asleep instantly. But when I do other things, I'm not necessarily tired. Like right now, I don't feel tired at all. But sometime later today, I probably will. Now, yesterday I did a little experiment, and I recommend this process for all of you. If there's something in your lifestyle or your diet or your, your practice that's not working, try to isolate it. Try to isolate it. So yesterday I actually very methodically tried to see what it is that wakes me up about going to Starbucks. Because when I go to Starbucks, I can sit there and write as long as I want. I don't, I'm not even a little bit tired. And I was trying to figure out, is it the environment the temperature, the people around, or is it just the caffeine? Now, I couldn't understand it would be the caffeine because I drink coffee continuously. Is there some magic about Starbucks coffee? So this is what I was testing. So the first thing I did was I tested how I felt before I went. So it was around noon, and I was so tired I could barely walk. Now, that's not hyperbole. I mean, walking across the flat surface in my house was a challenge. It was actually hard to the point where I really didn't even want to be standing. I wanted to sit down. And so that's how tired I was. This was not normal tired. This is not tired like, oh, I didn't get sleep last night. Because I did it on a day when I had plenty of sleep. So I eliminated lack of sleep because it was a day I had plenty of sleep. So it wasn't lack of sleep, and I was exhausted. So I thought, well, maybe it's diet or something like that. So I go to Starbucks, and the first thing I do is, since you're waiting for your your beverage, I wanted to see how awake I was just sitting at a table. Because I thought, maybe it's the environment. And I did feel, in fact, a little bit more awake. Maybe a 20% difference. It was noticeable but just, just being in an environment with more action and stuff. But also, the temperature, I estimate, was probably 68 degrees. Now, if you're in a place that has a heat wave going on, as, as I am, <laughs> you've probably had your house at 75 or above for a while now. So when you go from 75 to, it felt like 68. It might have been not 68. But it was cold. It was actually cold in there. And it wasn't too cold that I had to leave or get a jacket, but it was like right on the edge. 
right? So could be the temperature, right? So then my drink comes. It's uh, an icy drink with a, I don't know, a shot of coffee in it. And I'm drinking my drink, and I'm, I'm, I only have like this much of a large thing, and already instantly I could feel a difference. By the time I was done with my one drink, and I had a little banana bread just so I had something else with me, by the time I was done, I was wide awake, and I could write infinitely. And in fact, it was so much fun to write because it was so easy. I wanted to stay for another hour, but you know, I don't like to stay at the Starbucks for two hours. <laughs> I feel like I'm taking up a chair. So, but I stayed there for an hour. So here's the mystery. I eliminated lack of sleep. That's not what the problem was. I eliminated, and by the way, I was going to go to the gym before I went to Starbucks, but I couldn't. I couldn't. I just, I just couldn't do it. Uh, but after the Starbucks, I was like, oh, I could totally. I went to the gym, and not only did I have a good workout, it was a really good one. It was like one of the best. So I went from literally, and again, this is not hyperbole, it was difficult to walk on a, on a flat surface. It was too much energy. I couldn't handle it. To having a Starbucks experience and being able to go to the gym and do a vigorous workout and then wide awake all night. Not, not a problem for the rest of the day. Got all kinds of stuff done. So you tell me what happened. I don't understand this. And I'm sure I can reproduce this, by the way, because it's similar enough to other experiences. It appears that it's actually the drink. It's the drink. So there's something in that drink that is completely unlike the literally Starbucks coffee that I drink all day. This is Starbucks. Look at the size of this mug. Look at the size of the mug. And then, right? And then then double this, because I drink about two of these before noon. And it doesn't make any difference to my energy level. None. Like, well, I mean, I'm sure it'd be better than if I didn't do it. But I couldn't even walk with just regular coffee. But as soon as I had that Starbucks drink, I went to the gym. Fine. Everything was fine. What do you think it is? I think it's uh, 20% ambiance and temperature and 80% caffeine, but, or 80% the drink. But maybe it's the sugar? But here's the thing. I can, I can do sugary treats at home, and it wouldn't make any difference. So here's the next thing I'm going to test. Next thing I'll test is I'll drive there, I'll get the drink, and I'll drive directly home, because it's only five minutes away. And then I'll do the, I'll do the Starbucks drink at home and see if I stay awake. All right. So I'm isolating you know, variables. All right, so the, the, the larger point of this was not about me. In my book, well, I guess this is about me too. <laughs> In my book, I had to fail at almost everything and still went big. One of the big tips I give is that you should experiment with your own health. And you should always do it. You should be in a continuous, never-stop, long-term experiment to say, okay, if I eat peanuts, does it make me less hungry? Because allegedly they do. I've tried that, and it works. <laughs> Eating peanuts does make you less hungry. Um, so every time you have a hypothesis, 
try to isolate all the other variables and really see if it makes a difference. Because whatever this is, this is a major, major deal in my happiness and, and life. So I'm just isolating it. I'll figure it out. Um, <clears throat> I saw a funny tweet by uh, James Newbury, a user on, just a Twitter user. And he said that uh, somewhere around 25 years ago, I got my first tech job. We were on a jihad to connect everyone on the internet. Our thinking was that if every person had access to the entire sum of human knowledge, then humanity would be smarter. (laughs) His last sentence is, in hindsight, we were so fucking naive. (laughs) Talk talk about the greatest fail of all time. (laughs) Hey... If I work really hard, weekends and nights, I can get everybody connected to the Internet, and then we'll all be smarter. <laughs> well, well, here, here's what they did not see coming. If you empower the dumbest among us to have an equal voice, that's not going to work out. <laughs> and that's what happened. So in the old pre-internet days, what did it take for somebody to get noticed? Before the internet, internet, what did you have to do to rise high enough that you could be in, say, a newspaper or give a speech? (laughs) You you had to do a lot. You probably had to be really educated and accomplished. You probably had to be rich. Other people had to think you had some substance, right? But now all you need is a Twitter account and say some provocative things, and you get followers, and, and you can be as dumb as you want. So I think when we enabled the dumbest among us to, to be full participants in the intellectual discourse, maybe we should have seen that problem coming. Maybe we could have anticipated that one. Now, what is the antidote to that? The antidote, what is the antidote to too many dumb people on the Internet? What is it? It's this. Okay, Robert, um, there's a good hypothesis on YouTube of fellatio, and uh, I'm going to take that as a solid number two solution, really, for just about everything. In fact, uh, you know, I'm no doctor, so don't take this as medical advice, but there are very few problems you can't solve with fellatio. I'm talking about being on the receiving end here. Uh, if you're on the giving end, that doesn't solve as many problems. But it can also solve problems. can also solve problems. So really, there's not much it can do. Um, I think I was talking about something else, though. Oh, so the solution to all the dumb people on the Internet is this, what you're doing right now, which is there are some people who can help you think about stuff better because they've spent time in that field. I believe I'm one of those people that I can help you figure out what's true and what's not. Now, I think somebody like Mike Cernovich is one of those people, meaning that he's more clever than you are at figuring out what's true and what's not. So if you want to figure out you know, how to avoid all the dumbest people on the Internet, find some people who have spent some time and developed some skill to know what's true doesn't mean they'll always be right. I mean, 
you know, you've certainly seen me be wrong enough. But, yeah, I just use Cernovich as my universal example for just about everything. Ben Shapiro, another excellent example. Here's, let me give Ben Shapiro a compliment, by the way. I've been meaning to do this. But, um, you know, when you're watching the, the Queen go 70 years without making an error, which really is remarkable, quite remarkable, um, then you start asking yourself if there's, like, anybody else you know, who's going a long time without making an error. Um, and uh, <laughs> so Ben Shapiro says a lot of stuff, and I don't think he's wrong very often, is he? He probably has the highest ratio of saying stuff in public without being wrong of just about anybody you can imagine. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's worth a lot, isn't it? And also, I don't think that Ben Shapiro has fallen for um, any conspiracy theories. I can't think of one. Can you? Has he, has he actually managed to surf the highest level of right-leaning politics without buying into any, con- any conspiracy theories? Because I don't think so. I don't think he's bought into one that I'm aware of. Right? No, he didn't. I don't think he bought into the fine people hoax. I don't think that happened. All right. Um, he's wrong about BlackRock acquiring homes. Wrong about the facts or wrong about the importance of it. So I don't know that issue. Anyway, you know, the, the other thing... Um, well, I'm going to switch paths here for a minute. Um, Ken Olin, you might know him as an actor. He retweeted uh, a woman who was saying that she didn't understand his little viral video of a woman explaining that if Donald Trump is so awesome and he is not a criminal, why can't he get the top lawyers to defend him? What do you think of that point? So this is a Democrat, obviously, saying, if Donald Trump is so good, just like you think, why can't he get the best lawyers to defend him, she says. What do you think of that? Why do you think that Trump can't get the best lawyers, according to one person? Well, number one, (laughs) have you heard of Alan Dershowitz? (laughs) Like Alan Dershowitz, the the number one guy you'd probably want on your side if you had a legal problem. So he does have the best lawyer in the world, you know, or at least certainly in the top 0.001%. So there's that. But that's just one. And Dershowitz is a special case. Dershowitz is braver than other people. That, that's, that's just a fact. He is just publicly braver than other lawyers. So... Think about the uh, yeah, Harbeet doing a great job, we hear. Harmeet, Dylan. Yeah, but so first of all, I would, I would question the statement that he's not getting good representation. That does not seem to be the case. I think it's more to the point that Trump uh, embraces people who embrace him. I, I think that basically explains everything about it. But it's not like he doesn't have also high-quality attorneys, right? But here's what the uh, Democrats don't quite understand. The reason Trump can't get good help is Democrats. I'm not wrong, right? The reason nobody wants to work with Trump 
is because of what Democrats say about Trump, which is most of it's untrue. So isn't the problem not Trump? The problem is that Democrats are broken. Because if they, if they said accurate, fair things about Trump, then people would say, oh, I totally disagree with maybe Trump's opinion on whatever, but I wouldn't have any problem representing him. As long as everybody's being reasonable, he's just a reasonable person in a reasonable world. But when they paint him out to be the, you know, the next Hitler, who the hell is going to represent that? And it doesn't even matter what the lawyer believes, if they believe that other people will destroy their lives for being associated. But I guess the amazing part here is that the person who made the video saying, why don't people want to you know, work with or represent Trump, and the person who tweeted it actually don't understand that they're the problem. Isn't that weird? They actually don't understand that they are the problem. And the, and the actual tweet that I'm talking about is the problem. That's the reason that they don't work with them. It's you. <laughs> Not you, but you that I'm talking about. So the, the, I, I guess I, it's just a stunning lack of awareness. A stunning lack of awareness. And it's so common. Um, so the news got a little uh, boring recently. That's why we have a double whiteboard. I'll give you some updates here in a minute. Um, a weird thing happened with the Dilbert comic online. It got um, a whole bunch of the text in the first panel got deleted before it got published. I don't know why. <laughs> and it's not even, it doesn't seem censored because the part that got deleted doesn't have any special importance. So I think it happened in the production of it somehow. Somebody said the newspapers have a correct version, but the online is wrong. I don't know what's up with that. But if you like to collect things, maybe you'll make an NFT out of it. There was a CNN article talking about Ted Cruz's complicated relationship with Trump. And let me tell you, this was an amazing article. All right, just hold this in your head at the same time. It was on CNN, so CNN is the source. It was their opinion, and it was about Trump and Ted Cruz. Here's the amazing part. It was objective. It was objective. Now, it wasn't all positive. I'm not saying that. You know, it said, it talked about Trump insulting Cruz's wife and, and all that. But nothing in the article was stupid. They just reported the news. And I kept reading the article, waiting for the part where it would say, but of course, you know, Trump is a fascist monster, or something like that. And it wasn't there. It was actually a story about two Republicans that actually just talked about the interesting news around them, and that was it. And and I, I read the whole article looking for the, the CNN spin where, you know, he's the devil, it wasn't there. It was just an article about two Republicans. So if you don't think that the new head of CNN is serious about pivoting to the middle, I mean, it, he's serious. It's happening. <clears throat> well, the news on Ukraine seems to be all uh, pointing in one direction suddenly. Doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it's true. Because we're still in the fog of war. We don't really know what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. But 
it is notable that even the Russians are not disagreeing with the coverage at the moment. And the coverage is saying that the Ukrainians are making major advances against the positions of the Russians. So they've gone uh, 30 miles across the previous line. They've encircled... Well, let me go to the whiteboard and give you an update. Um, I know it can be confusing because a lot of people are not familiar with the area. So this map will explain the entire situation. So uh, what you've got is you've got the Ukrainian forces that are surrounding the uh, Balakava-Karba region, but they're also making inroads in the Kalakva-Karba and the Akpa-Kizamara. The Sesraki is uh, holding tight, but there are a lot of assets being lost in the Kupansk-Lakbaki and Ludaski and Papki. So, but this area in the, just surrounding the Lakshmi-Kagba is uh, sustaining heavy fire, but we do hear that there, there's a retreat in the Lakshmi-Kagba uh, and the Gorgungi and Bubka. But the Key and Peel are, uh, are uh, making inroads as well. So, I think that uh, pretty much summed it up. Now, uh, there is one thing that is uh, conspicuously missing in this story. Did you see anything missing? Yes. Uh, airplanes. There don't appear to be any airplanes in the story. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Don't you expect some jets? It's a war. I don't know what's going on, but there's, so there's something very unexplained. And the unexplained part is, where's the, the Russian Air Force? Apparently, it's not there. The Russian Air Force, apparently, it just doesn't seem to be part of the war. Why? Why? Now, one, one theory is that the Ukrainians took delivery of some advanced anti-aircraft assets from NATO countries. That could be the whole... That, that might be the whole uh, explanation. It could be that the new anti-aircraft is so good that Russia would just be throwing away jets. In other words, they wouldn't gain enough by putting a jet up there versus the, the odds of losing it. Now, it may also be true that the Ukrainians had great success destroying weapons depots and resupply lines, because that's the reporting. Don't know if anything's true. Remember, everything out of this region is suspect and fog of war. But even the Russians are not claiming they're holding tight. So the reporting is uh, Russians are retreating, they're abandoning the equipment, uh, the Ukrainians are basically taking over cities without a fight, and it's starting to look like the entire Russian army is collapsing. Did you see that coming? (laughs) Now, could be a trick. Could be a trick. I mean, maybe maybe Russia is like baiting in the, you know, trying to get the Ukrainian military in there. But one report said that's what the Ukrainians did to the Russian army. The Ukrainians allegedly, again, who knows what to believe, but allegedly they actually baited the best Russian forces into a, a kill box and then started degrading them. And once they had degraded the best Russian forces then they mounted the invasion and there was nothing to stop them. That's what it looks like. 
That doesn't mean that's true. Remember, everything about this is highly suspect. But here's the question I wonder about. You know that Ukraine was smart enough and skilled enough, especially Zelensky, to know that persuasion is maybe the most important part of the war. So Zelensky's persuasion of the West, how would you rank it? Was Zelensky's persuasion skill of his allies... Uh, give, me a, give me a grade. What do you think it was? I see an A+. Plus. Zelensky's persuasion skill. I see a C. A+, plus, A, solid. 9 out of 10, B-. Minus. All right, I, th- I think he's closer to an A or an A+. Plus. Now let me ask you this. Do you think that someone who's capable of that level of persuasion, and by the way, this would be the very best in the world, you know, in my opinion, what Zelensky has done is Winston Churchill-level persuasion, right? Now, you can say what you want to say about him if you don't like him for other reasons, but persuasion-wise, he has the goods. Now, here's my question. Do you think that his persuasion only works that powerfully with his own allies? Hmm. Because this might be the variable that everybody's missing. Ukraine has quite intentionally been running a um, a discouragement campaign against the Russian soldiers, trying to simply discourage them from being interested in fighting. I think they may have succeeded. They may have succeeded. Because it's hard for me to understand why Russia is not putting up a better fight. That's sort of a... Unless it's a trap... And that would be a stretch. Unless it's a trap, it looks like their will to fight has been broken. That's what it looks like. Now, again, pure speculation. We're way too far away and under-informed to know what's happening. But that's what it looks like. It looks like he broke their will. What do you think? Is that hypothesis, does it at least match the facts that we can discern? It looks like it, doesn't it? Now, the bigger story, of course, is the modern weapons and the fighting, the fighting skill and will of the Ukrainian military, which apparently is freaking awesome, as far as we can tell. So I, I think the big story is going to be the persuasion game. Uh, you Remember the Ukrainians were taking pictures of the captured Russian soldiers and they would find their social media, and they would send messages back to their parents and stuff. They knew that it would take a while for that persuasion to work, because they were doing it retail, like one, one person at a time. Here's a picture to your mother. Here's a note to your mom. Maybe it worked. We'll see. Amazingly, the Russian police arrested five uh, government officials. They weren't very high level, but they had, uh, these five officials said that uh, Putin should be charged with treason for his, uh, his launching of the war in Ukraine. Now, those five people are probably going to be dead pretty soon, but there were five people who had successful lives in Russia who just gave their lives to protest Putin. They just gave their lives, and they knew it. They knew it when they did it. So something's happening. Something's happening over there. 
All right. Um, yesterday, there was some news that Bannon said there were going to be that there were 35 raids against Trump supporters. Did you see that news yesterday? And I tweeted that that looked like bullshit to me. That there's probably something happening, but it's not going to match that description. And then we woke up this morning, and it's up to 50, up to 50 people, but they were not raided per se. They were subpoenaed. So it's more of a paperwork thing. So, so it's not like the FBI went into 35 homes. There were 35 or 50 people who got some legal paperwork saying, hey, we'd like to see your documents. Now, it's still bad. I'm not, I'm not excusing it. It just did not involve home invasions, apparently, uh, which is what I imagined. When I first saw it, I said, mm, that's too on the nose. 35 raids, I'm not believing it. How many, of you, how many of you saw the news that there were 35 raids, which would suggest actually going into homes? How many thought that that actually happened when you saw that Bannon said it happened? How many of you believed it was true when you read it? Because, because you should have said to yourself, it's too on the nose. I mean, I teach you that all the time. Right? I couldn't say anything more often than I say that. That was so on the nose that you should have seen that one immediately. Now, it doesn't mean nothing happened, just that the way it was described, that was a little too on the nose. All right, so it looks like it didn't happen. Um, let's uh, talk about the uh, imaginary civil war. So Eric Swalwell tweeted this. He said, no matter what, do not lose sight of the fact that there are more of us than there are of them. Hashtag strength in numbers. Now, I assume he means the more of us, meaning you know, good people like Democrats, as opposed to bad people like mega extremists. Um, okay. So let me give you an update on the imaginary civil war. So the, the two sides, it looks like the two sides have been formed. Um, on one side, we have the uh, people who want to vote but can't get ID. Um, there are quite a few of them, so this is a pretty big force. Then there are the people on the left who want to be uniters and not dividers. So they're, they're part of the imaginary army. And then, uh, very importantly, the army of the dead. Uh, voters, dead voters. So at the Army of the Dead voters, the people who want to vote but can't get ID and the people on the left who want to unite, that's one side of the imaginary uh, uh, war. But on the other side, they've got some stiff competition. It's going to be a tough war. Because here you have the MAGA fascists. Those are the people who believe in the Constitution, but yet somehow are also fascists. I don't know. Some would say that that can't exist. It's an imaginary category. Because how could you be a MAGA lover of a constitution and a fascist? Doesn't make sense in your mind, but for the imaginary civil war, it's good enough. So you've got those, then you've got the people on January 6th who, who believe that they would actually take over the country without using weapons. So you got those. Uh, but if I were going to handicap this war and... Uh, 
figure out who's going to win, it looks like the imaginary people on the right have an advantage because they also have the nuclear plans that they captured from the Mar-a-Lago boxes. So if you've got imaginary nuclear plans and the imaginary insurrectionists have that and they bind together with the non-existent MAGA fascists, you have an amazing fighting force that I think, I think will be even stronger than the people who want to vote but can't get ID, the uniters on the left, and the army of the dead voters. And scene. All right. <clears throat> In other news, Elon Musk continues to solve problems that other people just talk about. <laughs> so apparently he's proposing building a uh, major uh, lithium refinery facility on the Gulf of Texas. In other words, trying to uh, decouple from China and make sure that we can make batteries with domestic uh, stuff. So that's good. Good for him. All right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's only half an hour into our live stream and it's already the best thing you've ever seen in your life. I know. How do I do it? It's amazing. All right. Um, I would like to remind you of some of the weirdest predictions that I've made. <laughs> uh, which I went to look at and are not even here. How about here? There we go. So here, here are some predictions I made, which is not to say all my predictions were right. right? They were not all right. But here are the weirdest ones. You ready for this? The weirdest predictions I made that turned out to be right. The, the, the famous one, of course, I predicted that Trump would win in 2016. Uh, but I also predicted, remember the Las Vegas shooter and ISIS claimed credit? for that. And after ISIS claimed credit, I said it's not ISIS. Do you remember that? Now, how often does ISIS claim credit for something and it's not really ISIS? It's pretty rare. So I, even after ISIS claimed credit, I said it's not ISIS. And of course, it wasn't, wasn't ISIS. When Fauci first said that masks wouldn't make any difference, now I'm not going to argue about whether masks work. That's not the, that's not the topic. The question is just lying. I was the only person in the country, I believe, who said, he's lying. He's obviously lying. And, it, and then he admitted later he was lying to protect the supply of masks. I don't think anybody else in the country thought he was lying, or at least said it. I believe I'm the only person in the country who said it immediately. That's a lie. He's obviously lying. Um, what about that secret sonic weapon that was injuring the people in the embassies. I said, as soon as that story broke, you will never find a secret sonic weapon. You will never find a secret sonic weapon. So far, no, they didn't find any secret sonic weapon. (laughs) No, they didn't. Uh, I also said that Ukraine would be too hard for Russia to conquer because of modern weaponry. Literally the only person who got that right. Apparently. Apparently, I'm the only person in the world who got that military 
prediction right. My weirdest one that I got wrong was that Kamala would be the toughest competition for Trump in the past election. And, and here's the weird part. Even after she dropped out of the primaries, I kept my prediction that she would, she would be his biggest competition. <laughs> and then and she ended up weirdly being president for two hours while Biden was um, under anesthetic or something. Now, that prediction was 100% wrong, but it's the weirdest wrong prediction of all time. You couldn't get, be more right while being completely wrong. And then, of course, my prediction that Republicans would be hunted if Biden got elected. Now, some say, but Scott, you also said that if Biden got elected, there'd be a good chance you'd be dead in a year. You don't know if that one was true or, true or false. You just Because if you make a prediction based on the odds <laughs> and it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean you were wrong because you said the odds. If I say there's a three-to-one chance of something happening and it doesn't happen, I'm not wrong. It just means I estimated the odds. It doesn't mean I predicted. Um, oh, that people uh, do have... No, there, there are definitely people who have um, actual physical medical problems who are part of the embassy thing. But the thing that makes it a mass hysteria, probably, is that some number of people have problems that you would find if you did an MRI. If you just took 100 people and did an MRI, you'd find out, I don't know, 10 of them had some health problem you didn't know about. And some of that would be in their brains. So I think some of it is just, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. So I think it's that. Anyway, those are some pretty weird predictions. I think I had some other ones that are equally weird. Oh, somebody's speculating that Kamala Harris may have fried her brain with drugs. You know, that's not a bad... That's not a bad hypothesis. I was going to reject that right out of hand, but when I watch Kamala Harris talking as vice president, I can't understand how she ever won an election. It's like something changed, because when I originally predicted she'd be the hardest to beat is because I'd watched her speak in public, and she seemed very good speaking in public, but she's clearly not. <clears throat> so something... Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to speculate that that's what happened, but it looks like, well, there's a mystery here, I'll just say. <laughs> All right, that's funny. Um, she lost her writers? I don't know. Because when she was doing the uh, interrogating people in Congress, she didn't have writers for that, and she did great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how she passed the bar. She does not look like she would be capable of high-level intellectual anything based on her performance. You think she's overwhelmed and brain-fogged? Yeah. I don't know. Um All right. Well, I think that uh, I don't have anything else to talk about. As I warned you, um, the Democrats would not want to compete 
with the Queen's news because uh, they don't want to compete because they can't get any attention. So any dirty tricks and fake news is probably going to have to wait until the Queen's stuff is done. Adam T. said this too. Um, All right. Uh, That's all for me. And I'm going to uh, say goodbye to uh, YouTube, and I'll talk to the uh, locals people a little bit more. Bye for now.